Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Brian Dawes. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And we are here with another interview episode. Very excited. We are uh, here with March on the Machine's main story author, Kay Arsenal Rivera. Kay, say hello to all the listeners out there. Hello, listeners out there. <laughs> Very little interpretation. I appreciate you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this is what writing IP is like. Oh, that's not at all how I approach writing IP. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, if you give me a box, I'm going to find all the stupidest stuff I can do in that box, and you're going to have to tell me what's bad. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about March of the Machine, which uh, hopefully folks out there have read all the stories by this point if you have not you can head to mtgstory.com and read those i really liked them everyone seems to have had generally pretty positive things to say about the story which is very exciting we're wrapping up a another big arc uh broadly three years but really hardcore last year arc um so yeah okay uh for folks who might not be familiar with your name, what have you done with magic? What have you done outside magic? Sell yourself a little. Be excited about Kay, the author. Uh, well, you know, it, it's real hard not to go full Brooklyn when I'm talking to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> go so, for it. So my name's Kay Arsenault Rivera, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I do I do a lot of writing for a lot of different folks. Um, my first series of novels, they were called the Ascendant Novels. Um, it's the first time that I wrote about a sapphic couple overcoming an apocalypse situation that involves like black oil fluid. Um, it's so it's weird that I did that twice. Uh, <laughs> then I, I really hope you got paid more than two nickels for these whole. These uh, I got products. paid very much more than two nickels for that. So, uh, you know, big ups. Uh, aside that, I wrote Innistrad, Midnight Hunt, and Crimson Vow. I also mm -hmm. wrote The Family Man and New Capenna. Mm -hmm. um, in between all of that, I wrote a audio project for Realm Media starring Batman and Zatanna, which is pretty cool. It's called Batman the Blind Cut. I love Zatanna. That's so fun. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. I wrote it with Catherine Valenti and Marty Cahill, and it's incredible. And if you want to see... Batman getting hecked up by a villain we got to come up with, uh, then yeah, check it out, definitely. Um, aside that, I've got a story coming out in the new From a Certain Point of View anthology later this year. And right. I also, yeah. Oh, I, for, uh, I just forgot about that till this moment. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's, it's really cool. About it. Yes. It's really cool. Uh, and aside that, I wrote March of the Machine. Uh, I have heard of this uh, as well. You have? <laughs> Did you read it? Uh, yes, I did, actually. A little bit? A little bit? Uh, a little bit. I've, I am known to dabble in Magic Story. I guess that covers the who... See, we wrote quite... We usually have questions, and then I forget about the questions, and occasionally in an interview mm -hmm. I'll look at the questions and be like, wait a sec, we should maybe do some of these. But that basically covers who you are and how did you get here. Uh, so I guess going down the list... When and how did you first get into magic? All right. Uh, so my path into magic, 
I'm going to guess is very similar to a lot of people's in that one of my friends showed me some art and said, hey, this reminds me of one of your tabletop gaming characters. You should get into this game. And they were right. It was a complete read. Um, I'm not going to lie. The set that was going on at the time, this was for Avison Restored, and the spoiler for Avison herself had just dropped. So it was Avison that he showed me the art of, and at the time I was playing this Asimar Paladin character. And uh-huh. the resemblance was very much the same. Nice. Uh, but then to follow it up, this friend sent me um, the Geist of St. Traff story and was like, this is another mm-hmm. reason you should get into Magic the Gathering. They have really great story stuff. And, you know, a, a couple of years later, you know, one or two years later, I, I kind of agree. I think there's, there's some <laughs> good story. I think they've done a pretty good job with it recently, for sure. Yeah, yeah. decent job. Innistrad was like the first true dabbling of web fiction. I mean, uh, Doug Bayer and Jenna Helen had kind of touched on it for a little bit prior. But Innistrad was when they kind of went experimental with, I think, the Micaeus story, the Geist mm-hmm. of St. Traff story. So you got in on the ground floor for really online fiction. <laughs> it was it was funny because, um, you know, several years later, uh, when I uh, shot my shot to write for Magic, uh, at some point I got, you know, a meeting with Doug and I was just like, oh, God, oh, God, it's really happening. huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really funny that you came in in the Innistrad block, which was directly after Phyrexia the first time, you know, so it's like <laughs> it's all you there. brought it back around. <laughs> it's all there. That was about the same time I really got into magic was actually when like new Phyrexia came out. So I'm like in that same generation of magic fan. It was it was a good time to start because, I mean, I got in Duels of the Planeswalkers. I know Shiva also got in, got back into magic around that time. Uh, for similar reasons, it was um, big playgroup resurgence. Innistrad brought a lot of people back. It was a really good set. Hey, it turns out when you put Richard Garfield on design teams, he makes some pretty good magic sets and people get really excited about them. <laughs> I mean, it was just so cool. Every single like draft archetype in that set is just it's so much fun to play. Yeah. A lot of good memories of just drafting a bunch of red and green commons and uncommons and stomping people just because you can't beat a bunch of werewolves. Um, so I guess you you kind of mentioned this, but like, did you were you reading a lot of magic story for for the time you've been into magic is like, has reading the story been a thing that you you've really stuck to or? Um... I've, I've been kind of in and out with it. Um, there are some blocks where I remember the stories very, very clearly and some blocks where like when I was working on March of the Machine, I had to go back to them. But um, I definitely read all of the story for all of the Innistrad sets. As soon as they were like, oh, yeah, we're going back to Innistrad. I'm like, yeah, I'm going back to Innistrad, too. (laughs) Um, So I've read all of those and quite enjoyed them. Um, I liked the uh, OG stories on Kaladesh quite a bit as well. Um, I actually drew on those a bit when I was writing Liliana and Chandra in March of the Machine, because I really Mm -hmm. loved their friendship and their relationship in those stories. I read the Dominaria stories, um, the Ravnica stories that Nikki Drayden was working on as well. So mm-hmm. I've been in and out, but I always try to keep up with what's going on in Magic. I was going to ask if you had a favorite, but it sounds like uh, Innistrad is just going to win that question regardless. Uh, so there's, yeah. there's not really a reason. <laughs> yeah, to I, it's, it's very obvious. I'm sorry. 
No, I mean, I I also am a big fan of Innistrad. I, I fell out for a while and came back for Shadows of Innistrad specifically, and that's what uh that's what set me on my trajectory to where I am now. So, bunch of Innistrad lovers on this this podcast. I have normal thoughts about horror. Thank you very much. <laughs> big doubt. <laughs> uh no, I I actually my my first real big thing in the magic worthos community was uh uh shadows came out uh, and everyone had theories about what this big villain reveal was and i wrote i i published an article on my tumblr at the time uh with like 60 different examples that all point to emrakul cross-referenced with the um art book for zendikar and the details we got revealed in there. Uh, and I I feel like I read that article because I was super on Tumblr at that time. <laughs> uh, then, then, then there's probably a very good chance that you did. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, it feels great to be correct. <laughs> <laughs> Still think it was Merit Lage. It's never Merit Lage. Oh, you always wanted Lage. to be, though. No, I could. So unfortunately, Dominari United trashed my merit lage headcanon uh which was that it would uh a, a merit lage story would involve zur and they instead decided that zur found immortality somehow and is now a professor in the talarian academy system which is terrifying he's normal but i i wanted him to be like a herald of merit lage but ah well they don't let me decide those kinds of things he chose tenure. I mean, a lot of people do. Reasonable choice. I, yeah. I think if you're immortal, tenure is like a really good deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's job security forever. Until your school gets destroyed by Rona. But that's, you know, <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, yeah, good for her. <laughs> or Dahada. Uh, so, um, you know, I I haven't here if we have time to talk about the writing the Innistrad double feature story. Uh. I think we can assume that you were like super excited about that. And it oh, turned out really, really well. I just so, did a backflip. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. I think most readers really enjoyed it. It was a beautiful uh, like time to spend with Arlen and Soren and get to know these planeswalkers who didn't have a lot of time in the spotlight. Um, well, I mean, Soren's got a lot of time in the spotlight, but he probably shouldn't be in there very much. It's not good for his skin. <laughs> he belongs in a rock. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but you wrote a two part, you know, 10 stories that were all connected, but technically two different sets. Um, so what was it like? When were you asked to write the story for March of the Machine? Like, was that? So here's a fun yeah. fact. Um, mm -hmm. Now, um, people who are into magic story might realize that there's a funny coincidence with my magic fiction in that I've written two vampire weddings, which is just yeah. weird, <laughs> right? But the reason that we hadn't realized that I was being typecast to do that at the time was because I actually wrote all of March of the Machine before I wrote Family Man. <laughs> um, we were working on March. That's of incredible. The yeah, we were working on March of the Machine, I think, within two, maybe three months of submitting the finals on Crimson Bow and Midnight Hunt. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was quick. So you were you were still unpublished and starting to write march of the machine yeah <laughs> that is oh no pressure they oh, really God. i mean 
I will say I know the people over there are very talented and picked a great writer, but they they certainly lucked out because they got incredible Innistrad stories and had already lined you up for mom. So that's that's great. I actually they sent me a list of stories and they were like, we have a bunch coming up. You can take your pick. And I I chose to work on March of the Machine um, because I just magic has been such a big part of my life that I couldn't turn down the opportunity to be involved with something that was such a huge storyline. And I wanted to um, I wanted to really give back to magic and to put a lot of my passion for it into March of the Machine. That's great. I'm interpreting this as you wanting to make all the main characters a little bit miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, mean, I appreciate. They're Some only of them a deserve little, it. little miserable. A tiny bit. I, okay. I'm sorry, but Koth is a lot miserable and Karn Koth? is like pretty miserable. Although I guess that's his default. Um, <laughs> we can we can talk about Koth a little bit because that one was actually really important to me. I would love um, to talk about Koth. So Koth, um, it was important to me that he get that moment at the end to be sad and mm-hmm. that we are allowing him to be sad and vulnerable on screen and to have these doubts and questions about what happened. Um, because Koth, you know, he's this... Uh, he's really big. He's tough. He's a black guy. Um, often you don't get to see those kinds of characters express mm-hmm. that kind of vulnerability and that softness. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Koth, obviously, everything about him is metal pretty much, but there's softness there, too. And he's been fighting for so long against such impossible odds that his whole life now is starting from a place nobody can really imagine. It's hard to put yourself in that position of just how much he's lost. And at the end of it, you know, he's lost Malira, his closest friend. He's lost his home. He's gained a new one, but he doesn't know anything about the culture here. Um, It's already kind of alien to him. He's lost his friend Elspeth. Karn's super depressed. You know, Koth needs time to process things, and it was really important to me that we did give him time to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. I I also... the scene with him and Elspeth right at the end, I guess, spoiler alert for everyone, we're just jumping to one of the last scenes in the entire story. <laughs> uh, the scene with him and Elspeth and and him really needing that kind of familiar comfort. And because of Elspeth's transformation into her new angel self, not being able to connect with him on on that kind of intimate level. And, and having that kind of um, aloof distance from him where the words she's saying are maybe some of the correct words that he needs to hear, but there's not the same kind of warmth behind them. Uh, and, and, and that in of itself also just being unsatisfying where like, it was just, it was good. Well, thank you. Um, there's a dual purpose to that scene, because, of course, we mm-hmm. want to talk about Koth, as I said, and that was very important. But um, Koth and Elspeth have quite the history together, mm-hmm. and it was a good way to show exactly how Elspeth had changed and that mm-hmm. this transformation wasn't necessarily purely good for her. Um, mm-hmm. She's become this thing that she always meant to be, and she's finally found a home, sort of, but that does mean that she's lost a bit of her humanity and that she can't be that person that Koth needs. And I mm-hmm. think on some level she does realize that at the tail end there, and she's 
trying to do the best she can, carrying him off as kind of, you know, like a cute callback there. But um, it was important throughout that chapter to underscore that, yeah, the heroes made it out okay physically, but like nobody's going to be okay mentally from this. <laughs> oh, Koth just straight up doesn't get what he wants at like, oh, yes, he defeats Phyrexia and, you know, Thanos meme, what did it cost? At literally everything. Everything. Like, he, he had spent this whole time fighting like, hey, if I can, if we can, I don't know how we will ever win, but if we do, we'll finally have Mirrodin back. And they, against all odds, found a way to win and they don't have Mirrodin back. The only way to win was to give up Mirrodin. That and was it. Yeah. Now he has to exist like that. And that sucks. For him. It really and, does. Uh, it's not a happy-go-lucky, we-defeated-the-evil-people moment. No. Uh, no. No one really has that. It's, um... I think it does put Koth in an interesting place, and I'm curious mm -hmm. to see where he goes from here, because mm -hmm. I think the way that he's set up right now makes him for a very complicated protagonist that mm -hmm. would tell some very interesting stories. Mm -hmm. um, that was also part of the reason why I wanted to give him more dimension than just being angry all the time or just yelling about Mirrodin all the time. I wanted to have that moment uh, that makes him, you know, have those feelings that can be built out on later. Mm hmm. Yeah, that was a that was a big thing when I was writing him for Arena too for Fire Excel movie one is the uh you know what what are the other dimensions of Koth? Um what do you do when you have been fighting for literal years and watching everyone you know killed or become your enemy? And where do you find time for mourning when you, literally every moment you are awake? is potentially another fight uh and how how do you turn that grief into fuel to continue the fight and then now he's at the point where that's over and his entire mode of existing has changed uh and he's i like koth a lot he's a good character um and and i really appreciated taking those moments of perspective at the end uh it was also just in contrast to the quest for Karn, which didn't really develop on his character much. Um, he's introduced. He literally finds out that his mother is a Phyrexian, uh, or it's a Phyrexian wearing his mother's skin. Um, and that's like not a major thing. He kind of just moves on from it. And it's like, we do still have to save Mirrod and we're just going to have to trek on until we... Um, can get deeper and find Karn. It's like, I don't know. Uh, we we only got to see glimpses of any emotion prior in like maybe the webcomic and the Lost Confession, but both of those weren't exactly main features for him or especially well-known to the audience. So it was great to get this scene and more focus for him. Yeah. I actually read Quest for Karn as I was starting to write March of the Machine. I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> I know. I was so excited <laughs> to read it this. It is. It's, it's not good. It's There's a weird fixation on describing the sweat on Elspeth's upper lip that I noticed. Like, it comes up multiple times. Mr. Wintermute certainly had his 
Do angels sweat? <laughs> Apparently. Well, now I'm just wondering if an angel sweats, is it Halo? No, 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 we can't. We can't go into this. <laughs> this is very... You're telling me you got a good Halo source? <laughs> yeah, we just put an angel on a treadmill for about 30 minutes. <laughs> Let me talk to my boss, see what we can do. <laughs> I, I don't like this. do <laughs> I. <laughs> Uh, the bartender at the speakeasy on New Capenna walks into the back room and, like, wipes up the brow of some angel and uh. rings the towel into a martini glass. Uh, anyways. That's, um, kind of funny that, that, that's a good visual gag, so I appreciate that a little bit more. But I, um, I am gonna, I, as the person leading this show, I'm gonna say we're moving on from this now. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to change the subject, Okay. Because um, our next question was going to be, what did you do to prepare for writing Mom? And we just learned it was sadly enough read quest for Karn. Yeah, um, it was it was funny because um, I, I won't say that Mom had a tight turnaround, but it was more that I was so excited to work on Mom that I like I just wanted to get to work immediately. So what I did uh -huh. was I ordered the Mirrodin novels and, and I ordered quest for Karn and I started reading quest for Karn and I got like halfway through it. I was just like, I don't. I think this is going to make my writing worse. <laughs> I just stopped reading it. Oh. Uh, but aside from that, I did uh, a whole bunch of reading about Phyrexians. Um, mm -hmm. And I was actually, um, this is another fun fact, too. Um, the sh side stories for Midnight Hunt were not done by the time that I was writing uh, March of the Machines. So... When Seanan wrote Tangles, I actually got to see that early. <laughs> and um, I got a little bit of um, input on that, too, in terms of revisions and lining things up so that it would work well awesome. with the sacrifice and mom. So was that a directed by higher ups in the story team connection that they were seeking? Or was that a author to author connection that you guys decided to make and get approved? Uh, I... Seanan didn't know that I got that for quite a little oh, while. Okay. Yeah, uh, it was the story team sent me Tangles uh, because they realized, wait a second, this is actually going to be really important. Um, and they were like, is there anything that that would be helpful? Uh, do you have any notes here that would be helpful for you to draw on in Marginal Machine? Um, and then afterward, um, Seanan and I started talking a bit more about magic after that. Yeah, I definitely I pointed out when we were discussing the story that like, if you if you track back this whole story arc, Tangles was really kind of the story that set off um, what ended up being the climax of uh, the story. I mean, we've had other things that you know contributed, but like I think Tangles was the first story that like put a direct domino in line to like here is how this story is going to resolve. So it's really mm -hmm. cool that you got to read that early to incorporate it. Um, because it really did sort of start the push towards like, all right, now we've shown Teferi learning about undoing his magical mistakes and introduced him to a person who can live inside of trees. This will be relevant for later. It was it was so cool seeing that that story got Hugo nominated too, because I was just like, yes. I mean, that's real good. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was I was so happy that such a load bearing story was also such a good story. Uh -huh. You know, sometimes when you go back to look at stuff that's plot relevant, it's um, it's Quest for Karn. Um, and sometimes it's Tangles. 
you said you said a thing about hey we should maybe you know the story team being like hey maybe we should line this up for like rend things that happen in one i'm like yeah she plays a modest role in the march of the machine story uh yeah uh, which is kind of important just a little bit um what a character i remember when uh we uh so i i worked uh, i was on the text team for the first modern horizons and at that point ren was i i believe that was the planeswalker card that set design was like hey here are some mechanics we're interested in exploring can you come up with a character for this and and then you know ren was born and so we were sitting here like working with the Splainswalker card and we're like hey what's the story of this character and they're like well here's some things and we're not sure and and uh whatnot and uh all these years later now and ren just saved the whole damn multiverse and i think that's pretty cool for a character to to have had like such humble beginnings and get some really really good fiction uh in the, in the last year two years two years two years i can math well, I mean, Tangles, I think, was 2021, yeah. A lot of the way that I characterized Ren came from Tangles, too. And I was um, mm-hmm. building off of what Shannon did there. She's a really cool character. I really, really loved her voice, um, especially in uh, Episode 8, where she's sort of like the point of view character for a lot of it. And the way she's describing things and talking about things, it's just she she has a very alien voice without it seeming like... I know she's a dryad, but it doesn't seem inhuman. It's just she she has a very distinct way of talking and thinking about things that you go, oh, yeah, this this is a dryad. This is not just any other person in the story. This is a very specific. She has very specific life experience. The way she talks very much pulls from how she lives her life and who she is. And I, I really thought it was very distinct and I appreciated that. And it was like I had that moment with her catching up with Chandra and just being like, no, I think you're right about this. And I'm like, I won't, I won't <laughs> swear, but yes, uh, it was, it was a very, a very joyous moment where it was like, finally Chandra gets the person who understands her and is on her side in thinking about the situation and the way that she's thinking about it. Maybe for not the exact same motivations or reasons, but like at least is on the same page when it comes to, what action should be taken. Their friendship was nice. Brief. Yeah. 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 Something, something, candle twice as bright, half as long. You know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> For what? Uh, no, no, it was like, it was perfect. Like, Ren was the perfect lived, uh, perfectly short-lived character. Like, not to say that she was squandered too early or like served her entire story purpose, but it felt like a satisfying beginning to end for this character's journey where we saw them. And as much as I think people want to see stories prior or potentially stories future, depending on how that acorn goes, um, we'll have to see. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it's an important part for both of their arcs, right? Because, Mm -hmm. um, Ren starts in Tangles with she's kind of leery of um, Teferi. She doesn't really trust him. She's a bit um, standoffish. And by the time that we see her in March of the Machine, she's obviously made quite a few more friends. But 
part of how she's learned to do that, I think, had to do with Teferi and had to do with learning, you know, how to talk to people better because she was so used to talking to trees. Um, and then now she's going to go save Teferi because she knows that he's in trouble. Uh, and that meets Chandra at this point where she's lost, like, two mentors and an ex-girlfriend, and she just needs something <laughs> to go right and some sort of personal connection. And she can find that in being a mentor for Ren for that small period of time. And I think that commonality was very important to both of them. Understanding that sometimes you really do just have to, you have to go at it. You can't sit there and do nothing. Um, so having their friendship as one of the touchstones throughout March of the Machine was a very helpful thing. I'm so happy we didn't do another Chandra gets a, a new mom story. <laughs> no, she got a new daughter that she loves her. <laughs> and ironically, I guess it was in the mom story. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> Poor Chandra. Poor God. Chandra. We said this already, but like none of the characters in the story are leaving the story in a like objectively better place than they were before it. And I think oh, that's oh, just... Okay. Hold on. Okay, Teferi maybe. Teferi's I, I have, doing I great. I have strong opinions. Chandra's gets to leave the story kissing a pretty girl, and I think that's about okay. as well as you can do in any narrative capacity ever in any story forever and ever. So funny enough, uh, how Chandra ends the the Crimson Val story too. So yeah. <laughs> go for her. Which I, I also noticed, wrote. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> yeah, whatever happened with Adeline, huh? Um, Are they like uh? Well, my my, like my idea was that it, 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 like Chandra did explain that she's not going to be on Innistrad for very long. And I think that they both understood that from the outset. Um, other people are welcome to think other things. You know, this wasn't on screen, so it's open to interpretation. But uh, that was just, just be like feelings. that. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> sometimes you, you just you got to communicate about your feelings. I can I can believe that. I just I hope we get to see Chandra go back to Innistrad and hang out with Adeline another time. You know, I do. Too. There's nothing saying that her and Nissa have to be exclusive. Um, but anyways, yeah. So like uh, writing for an IP is like very much you're given a lot of stuff and you have to do it. Um, but how much uh, how much freedom did you really have and how the story played out? Did, were there any like choices that you made and you like brought to the story team and said this is what i want to do um there were a couple things yeah i don't know if i want to get too specific about that um okay that's uh, totally totally yeah. fair uh but i would say that i have a pretty good relationship with the story team we work very well together and it's certainly a collaborative process um for other ips that i've worked on <laughs> that shall not be named uh it was far less collaborative and it was more, um, you know, I, I would present this thing that I would I had written and then there'd be like this list of things that I'd have to change without very much in the way of explanation for them. And they were non-negotiable. But while I was working on March of the Machines, it was definitely a back and forth and everybody was very open to my ideas. I was open to their ideas and we were able to um, get to a point where the story felt fulfilling for everybody. And I think everybody was really excited going in. So. Not to say that we weren't at the start, but it really came even more alive as we were working on it. There are there are some touches in that story that are me, and there are some touches in that story that are 
the story team. But overall, I'm extremely proud of it as something that I got to work on. Yeah, I was just I was thinking about the like Koth and Elspeth scene and things like that, where it's like, I don't know if another author had wrote this, if those scenes would have happened um, or if we'd seen something else. But I appreciated them. I really loved um, just a lot of the character moments in this story are just so good. Uh, I also loved all the glimpses we got in episode three uh, or not episode three. It's episode four when we have like a triptych of Kaladesh, uh, Kaldheim and New Capenna with a K. New Capenna. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And those were those were great, too. And I, I just I loved seeing those moments. And I was just wondering, like, you know. How many moments did you choose to show and things like that? But I understand you can't really talk about all of that. I think one thing that I can say, because uh, I, th- yeah, I think I could talk about this. Um, the Elspeth Bottle episode uh, was one that uh, we actually didn't revise too much. And the reason for that is that um, when I was pitching my outlines of the episodes, um, originally that episode was supposed to be set on Dominaria like explicitly on Dominaria. And then I just Mm. started writing it and like a fugue came over me. I wrote that episode basically in like one sitting. I don't think Mm -hmm. I got up. Um, And I sent it out to the story team (laughs) and Roy hits me back and he's like, this isn't what I expected at all. And I don't think it should work, but man, does it work? (laughs) It works so good. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I, I think I could talk about that one. God, yeah, that so, was like, such a cool episode. I do want to talk about it. Yes, actually. <laughs> we, can, we can talk about the Elspeth episode, sure. It was probably my favorite of the lot. Uh, I, I was going to say, that, that's one of the things that happens with Write for Hire, right? Is that, you know, you can have a project, and if you gave the same project with the same starting prompts to 10 different authors, you get 10 different stories back. Um, and so... I. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about like IP work from people who don't write IP work where it's just like sometimes it can be overly constraining and that's like client versus client. But like generally authors still matter. Yeah, it's like they wouldn't hire you if they didn't want your voice. Right. Right. And like like people don't write things the same way and and sometimes i i've seen people get like a little a little judgy of oh you're writing for an ip well i guess you you know anyone could have written this so it's whatever and it's like "Mm, no (laughs) actually um and and you know this is good good little example you know figure a in our textbook of uh things that happen when specific people get involved on specific projects. And and that's, uh, I think IP writing is neat because of things like that. I do too. And, um, just to piggyback on that real quick, um, I hear two complaints a lot when it comes to like IP writing. Um, and there's another one that ties into just writing in general, where, um, there's this perception that writing is an extremely erudite profession. Um, you know, that you have to have like an MFA and, you know, weed <laughs> jackets and not sleep and uh, it be conversant about all sorts of things. But um, I 
never came from that kind of background. Um, I don't have a college degree. I dropped out. Um, I got my start writing with writing, well, just terrible fan, uh, terrible fantasy novels when I was 15. I finished my first book when I was 15. It was like 100,000 words long. Um, then I wrote a bunch of fan fiction. Um, and then I started writing very long uh, backstories for my tabletop game characters. Um, one of those eventually became a novel and I sold it. And that's how I became a writer. And one thing that I always want to emphasize is that both that IP writing is real writing and that you're not any less for taking it, nor is it any less, you know, literary as a as a pursuit, but mm -hmm. also that you don't need to come from a super privileged background to be a writer. And anybody who says otherwise, uh, I will happily kick them in the shin. <laughs> I will kick them in the other shin. <laughs> uh, no, I do. Frankly, one of the things I really enjoy about IP writing is that IPs are different and IPs have different styles. And, uh, you know, I, I like the challenge of IP writing gives you a box to play in. And you, I like sitting there going, okay, what are the boundaries? What are the rules and expectations? How do I play with these things? Um, how, how do I take my writing and make it fit some, you know, an established tone? Uh, or what places do I want to break away from? And, and, and so there's like a lot of decisions that you make IP writing that you don't when you're just writing your own stuff um, that I think make that kind of work interesting a lot. Uh, it's also, by the way, a lot of the same questions that you ask yourself when you write fanfic. Uh, like, I, I, <laughs> every time someone on the internet is like, oh, fanfic writers, and I'm like, fanfic writing is one of the best practices you could do for, like, doing professional IP writing work, which is a lot of the industry. And, like, yeah. I mean, I'm going to stop now before I, this tirade <laughs> goes on longer, because... Uh, so the I mean, Elspeth knew... episode <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'm also like a little frazzled I got floored by a tweet that I'm looking at that says Mop Psycho is good because if because it's like what if Doug Funny were God and <laughs> yes uh, anyway wow. it's only three <laughs> seasons Mop Psycho fantastic anime go watch it um, oh I might actually if it's only three seasons I can probably do it oh yeah it's um, great but yeah, speaking of fan fiction, it's just funny because like I, I know that you've talked about writing fan fiction before as being like a, a big part of your writing life. And then earlier this week, Shannon was tweeting about how she used to write fan fiction. And that was like a big part of her writing life. I'm just sitting here wondering, like, how did. have all of our have all of the magic writers like are they all fanfic writers? Or I'm going like, to let you in on a secret here. Almost every single professional writer I know also has a fanfiction account. Almost oh, every single one. Do you know how much Godzilla fanfic I wrote when I was 13? <laughs> a lot. Oh. I, I can't remember, but it was multiple people from the new era story regime. Um, possibly Kelly Diggs and Yu Chao. But I, I remember multiple responses to criticisms at the time because that was when they went full steam ahead with web fiction and they're mm -hmm. like oh well like the magic web fiction with a lot of people were criticizing that it read a lot like professional fan fiction and i'm like yeah 
Like, that's what stories <laughs> that's what are. I'm sorry. Like, and I think they landed in the same place of like, yes, but like our fan fiction is canon. So that's why it matters. And that is exactly the delineation here. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I know Allison and, and Yi Chow and, and Kelly have all probably written fan fiction at various points. Um, this is a, a reminder to all of our listeners that you too can write fan fiction. And you really should, because I feel like the really Magic fine. the Gathering AO3 tag for fan fiction is just not, it's not as populated as it should be, in my opinion. I want more. But anyways, um, bringing it back around to talking about March of the Machine story a little bit. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, so, like, I will say, like, I I loved all of the character moments. Was there a character that you were most excited to write going into writing March of the Machine? Like a particular one that you were like, oh, yes, I get to write this character either for the first time or again. It's Liliana. I I don't even know why I asked the question. I I don't know why you did. I don't know why you did. We always so happy for you in in that first story. I'm like, oh, finally, Kay got to do it. Um, I actually... I, I inserted Liliana references into Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow because she was not in that story. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, I was extremely excited to write that sequence with um, everybody at Vest Manor, at, you know, the rebuilt Vest Manor in progress. Um, and as I said, to call back to those Kaladesh stories and to have the Lil- Liliana Chandra friendship be more of a thing again. Also, mm-hmm. to be able to call back to Healer Liliana was awesome mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i really like that just yeah like a surprising amount of vulnerability from her in that scene i just i love so much of it um to give you an answer that's not just me out. <laughs> um i was also really excited to write elspeth um and that whole episode i knew as i was building toward it was going to be something special so yeah, I was just psyched for that one from the start. See, the the trick of writing questions for an interview is that you write the questions you already know the answers to. Um, <laughs> it's you can't see, but I have that like two thousand dollar Liliana statue behind me right oh, now. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it in pictures. It's really incredible. It really and, is. Yeah, I think the hipsters of the coast interview article that they published this week with you has. Uh, editor's note that you pointed in the background <laughs> to that statue, so there you go. I, when I got the transcript back and I saw that she included that, I was just, it was very amusing to me. <laughs> it's very funny. There is one question I did not know the answer to, and uh, I feel like it's a pretty big one, and it's, um, how does it feel concluding a multi-year Magic the Gathering story arc? And I'm curious particularly because I've I just started reading The Tiger's Daughter and I know this is a trilogy. Um, how does it feel writing a conclusion to a multi-year Magic the Scathering story arc? And how does it compare to writing the conclusion to your own trilogy? Like, are those feelings similar or is it very different? How dare you ask me an extremely thoughtful question I actually have to buy time to think about the answer for. Uh, man. I can do a quick plug for The Tiger's Daughter while you think. It's a really good book. I I'm turning through it in like, hundred pages at a time like i sit down to read it and spend like two hours just unmoving it's really good i recommend it to everyone um it's really gay i love it it's extremely gay um so so sapphic it's wonderful 
Fun fact about Tiger's Daughter is uh, when I was writing it, queer fiction wasn't as uh, well known at the time. And I actually intended it for, you know, the first hundred pages or so. You could just see it as a really intense friendship. And by then I had hoped mm. you. And <laughs> like in retrospect, it's like, no, what? <laughs> no, it's, no, it's super gay, Kira. What were you doing? It's just super gay from the outset. You thought you had anybody. Um to answer the question, um, they're both very intense feelings, though. Um, Tiger's Daughter really changed my life. Um, it was obviously I my dream was to become an author um, and being able to close out a trilogy, especially it was a bit stressful toward the end of that trilogy, but to deliver it on time and in a way that I was satisfied with. Um, by the time that I got to the tail end of the series, I was pretty emotional. Um, it felt both like I had accomplished something and also like I had lost something very dear to me. Um, something that I think people don't really talk about a lot when it comes to writing fiction is that once you're done with a story, it's no longer really yours, uh, especially when it gets published. It belongs more to the readers at that point. It's not something that just exists for you anymore. Um, there's other people involved. Um, so I was very, very happy about it, but I also felt like a little hollow. Um, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a negative hollowness. I think it was almost a contented sort of hollowness. Um, but it was a strange feeling to deal with, and especially when revisions came in and I had to go back to the story after I had already said goodbye to it. Um, writing magic fiction always makes me really happy, like no matter what. Uh, no matter the project, if I'm writing magic fiction, I'm happy to write the day. And it's easy for me to imagine the other people from the start there. Um, the audience is already there from the beginning. I'm in conversation with them. They're in conversation with me just by being in this fandom and, you know, by participating in magic. Um, so I would say it's less stressful writing magic fiction and until um, other people see it. And then it becomes way more stressful than a reaction. Um, so how did it feel to wrap up this many years? It felt like a great responsibility. Um, it felt like something that I was giving back to and something that I should put my all into. And that's what I did. And by the time that I was writing that last chapter, what I felt was proud. Um, I felt proud. I felt satisfied. Um, I felt, you know, uh, I'm getting kind of emotional, but like uh, magic is like really important to me. And at the end of that story, I thought, wow, I did it no matter what. Like I've I've really done something for magic to thank it for all that it's done for me. Um, so that that was mostly what I felt there was just that that pride um, and that uh, that joy. Um, but when those stories drop, I'm a lot more anxious about them than I am about my original fiction, uh, because I feel like I'm responsible to a whole lot more with IP work. Well, uh, thank you. Um, Extremely relatable mood. Thanks. I think um, magic, like, I think magic is very important to everyone. If you're, well, who's listening to this podcast, for one thing, if you're in our <laughs> Discord, it's very important to all of you. Um, but the thing about magic that is special I think is that it's very important to everyone in different ways. Um, and I think for some people, 
magic is important to people because of the role it's played in their life and finding friends and finding partners and finding a a, a job for some people. Um, <laughs> Hi. And other people, it's, yeah, and, like, for other people, it's important just as, like, a, a thing that they enjoy, that they find joy from on a personal, individual level. And I think that... um it becomes a little complicated when it becomes an important part of your life in different ways. So like sometimes it's an important part of your life because it's a thing you share with your friends. And sometimes it's an important part of your life because it's your job. Um, and then sometimes it's both of those things. And I can only imagine that creates like a lot of like very emotional situation when you are releasing these stories and you're saying, hi, this is my gift to all of the people I've connected with, but also like, I'm playing a role as part of the creators now. So it's not just I am enjoying this as a fan. I'm enjoying this also as a person writing it. And I think that is, um, yeah. So I think what I'm saying, it's very valid for you to get emotional about Magic Story right now because it is. Uh, yeah, it's like that the first day that the March of the Machines story dropped, like I was working a shift at my day job and I wanted nothing more than just to lay down on the floor and like try not to cry. <laughs> Um, like I, I just spent that whole day. I was so anxious. I could barely do anything at all. And of course I had to reply to all of these tweets and all of that. And, you know, that's part of my job too. And obviously I am excited. Um, and I'm happy to be part of it, but at the same time, I feel that stress, you know, what if I heck this up? What if, um, people don't connect with it? And I was very fortunate in that people did reach out to me throughout to tell them what the story meant to them and to highlight <clears throat> some of the things that I had really hoped that people would catch on to. Um, so it became very rewarding in that sense, but it's an extremely complicated thing. Um, you know, um, for those who don't know, I actually have an Avison tattoo because that's how much Innistrad and Avison mean to me and have meant to me for years. Um, so, you know, it's a complicated thing, but I wouldn't really trade it for anything in the world. I love writing for magic. I love to keep writing for magic um if you know all is said and done like if the only writing of mine that remains remembered is you know my magic writing i'm okay with that honestly and i know that feels a little odd to say about ip but it's it's very true well i certainly hope you keep writing magic fiction the same this has been incredible um and it's also just to go back to your comparison between the novel and magic magic means more than story for the vast majority of people who engage with it so while your readers for novel writing may have um like are already pre-engaged in the story or are hopping onto the story and will be engaged magic is everybody starting at a different point which means you get some stranger interpretations of what is going on and uh reviews of the content then um it was a hell I of a time to with... be online uh, after the elspeth yeah. episode i saw so many things <laughs> yeah and again people are entitled to their opinions and their experiences but i think overall this story has been a home run and like i said last episode this is the best executed and best written magic story arc finale that we've had ever and um maybe that's not uh like maybe that's not 
indicative of magic historically like saying that every other story arc has been bad but like this one just hit it out of the park where it was like if somebody was familiar with these characters i would jump them on board with march of the machines and i think they would have no problem connecting to the characters immediately and um obviously i would prefer people to have backstory but this was the perfect i'm familiar with magic i want to jump on and experience this finale point so happy for that and thank you for it obviously well thank you very much it really it means a lot to hear that um the character focus was something that i really wanted to keep in mind while i was writing it um for me magic has always you know there's been i've always been more of a character person than i have a mechanic person um and there's people that i've kept coming back to in magic story um there's olivia there's talia um obviously i'm just gonna say in Estrad as a whole and in Estrad Legends. <laughs> yes, in Estrad Legends. Um, but also um Elspeth I always really liked. Um obviously I like Liliana a lot too. Um following Gruel Friends as well. Um when I thought back on what mattered to me most about magic, it was those human moments and emotions and feelings. And I wanted to really focus in on those because those aren't really something that you can get from a card. You know, we have traumatic revelation, right? But we don't we're not necessarily in Chandra's head as much as we are in web fiction. Um, so I really felt like my job was to get people invested into the character side of this war and to um, basically just tell them why they should care about something. When you're a writer, obviously, you're kind of always doing that. Um, when I wrote Crimson Vow, I, I was like, by God, you guys are going to care about Sword as much as I do by the end of the <laughs> But um, oh, and as I, I was, I was a premier Soren hate boy for <laughs> quite a while, and um, that block turned even me around. So there you go. <laughs> oh, look, I have always reveled in Soren's misery. So all you did was make me a larger reveler of Soren's misery. <laughs> I oh, I love Soren's. I love Soren's misery. I he hate when so he's sad. the most sane person in the room. He was oh, God. so sad. He was so miserable that entire set. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. <laughs> um, but no, I speaking as a person who wrote creative text on the set. So, you know, I have a bunch of flavor text in the set and the text team was responsible for showcasing the breadth of this event. Elish Norn is literally invading the entire multiverse, and our job is to showcase what that looks like on at least 36 different planes, which is a lot. Magic's literally never done something like this before. Um, and I really appreciated how tight the focus of your stories were character-wise. Um, and I like that we got side stories to go off and do some of the more important planes, like the, especially the ones that are in more recent magic memory. Um, and that your story really got to focus on, hey, here's like six-ish people who are at the nexus of all this. And yes, they're going to do big plot mechanical things, Um but we really want to spend time with them and get to hear about all the painful shit that is happening. Um, got the whole <laughs> Karn. 
Karn's little last act on New Phyrexia. I cried. And the whole the whole arc of you the themes that run through the story of of fear and letting fear exist and confronting it anyway. Um, you know, the courage isn't ignoring fear, it is moving through it. Um, that finding solutions to problems, making things right isn't just about beating your mistakes into dust, but acknowledging your own failures and resolving to do better um and all all the little personal growth moments uh all the moments of connection i mean i mean right right this is one of the big things in the story is that elish norn really wants just to be a tyrant and and the idea that phyrexia is the paragon of unity is kind of a lie and that um we see it on every plane in the multiverse that people can come together and overcome uh, Phyrexia and and uh, these characters finding moments of connection uh, through all this adversity. And just like all those things woven together uh, is, is really good. It's really nice. It's very intelligent uh, emotionally and structurally for this specific set and good job i'm very proud of you because that's a lot to juggle <laughs> um, and i think you did fantastic thank you um thank you that that really does it does mean a lot to me um it's yeah i mean you said a lot of the things i really wanted to in terms of what the themes of the story are um it's funny that teamwork ended up being such a thing in this set mechanically as well as, mm -hmm. as thematically i think that's a nice point of synergy um, mm -hmm. because um, it was definitely something I wanted to keep in mind. You know, we've had um, microcosms of this before with War of the Spark and um, in some ways with the Eldrazi as well. But I wanted to really lean into this, um, this, this feeling of what do we have when the world is falling apart? We have each other. Um, mm -hmm. We have each other. We have to try to reach for one another. And sometimes the chasms end up a little bit further apart, as in the case of Koth and Elspeth, but we have to keep reaching and we have to keep trying. Um, and uh, obviously fear, also a huge part of the set, um, largely informed by me having a lot of anxiety issues. Uh, but yeah, it's there's a lot that's in that set that means a lot to me. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's good to see people picking up on it. Thank you. This is great. We've never had anyone cry on the show before, and if we keep saying nice things, maybe we'll get there. We're, um, we're very close, okay? <laughs> we're very close. Um, <laughs> it has been a long couple weeks. <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I really, um, just a, a, a thought that I had that I wanted to share about the story is um, a, lot of, a lot of people I see online talking about it are, you know, they're all saying, yes, it's a very good story. Um, but some people are like, oh, there's so many big things that happen that we don't see in the story, like, you know, Heliod and basically a lot of stuff that happened on Theros and like Coma on Kaldheim. And they're like, oh, they just killed Heliod in like a side moment and they Coma just kind of gets killed off screen. And I'm like, the important parts of the story are not Heliod getting killed. The important part is Kaya is killing Heliod. It's Kaya. That's the important part here. And then like Coma and... 
I'm like, who cares about that? The important thing is Harold pulling Tyvar out of the water. Like that is the the important part of the story to me. And so I'm I'm very much like on the side of I I well, I love this being character focused and I love the fact that like the emotional beats were not like, oh my God, look at Coma, he's big and completed, and look at Heliod, he's all Phyrexianized. I'm like, the big moment for me is oh my God, look at Harold joining together with all the other people of Kaldheim and all the different realms and uh, him and his brother's relationship. That is the important part to me. And uh, you really nailed it. Those, It's very good. I cried so many times reading these stories. <laughs> you guys and I work cry. from home. You guys I work from home. <laughs> so I got to actually cry while reading the stories. I didn't have to like pretend to not lay on the ground. I just could do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh- yeah, I mean, you know, it's that's exactly it is a lot of the stuff is focused on the characters and um, Kaya is important because we saw her in Kamigawa um, not really knowing what to do and still deciding to pull through anyway and do what she could. And she's helping these planes that aren't even hers. Um, She's picking picking up all of these pieces. She doesn't know what's going on. All she knows is that she has to try the best that she can. Um, And yes, she kills Heliod fairly quickly. Um, But by that point, the battle is already turning. There's already a whole bunch of Halo all over the place, too. Um, And Kaya's specialty is in doing this sort of thing. (laughs) Uh, Killing ephemeral creatures. but what's important is that she's there and she's helping people out and she's helping even if this isn't her home plane and she doesn't expect any kind of recompense for it. Um, that's character growth there. It's the vignettes where there were... I, I purposely set it up so that the vignettes at the start of 10 echo the vignettes in um, mm-hmm. episode... Uh, I think it's three. Uh, no, it's four. It's four. Four, yes, three is the Tamiyo episode. Um, because I wanted to bookmark it and I wanted to call back to these fears, the isolation that some of them had felt, um, this being confronted with the idea of complete and utter failure and what that would mean, not just for them, but for these places that they love, like PNLR talking about the state of called um, Kaladesh. Uh, you know, Sahili also not really wanting to tell her that Chandra's that that's going to turn out and they need to keep their eyes on the fight. Um, her all uniting the elves. Uh, yes. But also all of them being very cognizant of the fact that they might die that day. And her doesn't know anything about Phyrexians. You know, he doesn't know there's been down there for like five minutes now. And he doesn't know if he should go in after him or not. Um and that's that's what this story is about. It's about not knowing what you um, not knowing what you can do, but trying to do it anyway. Uh, it's about, you know, trying to work through those fears and trying to do the best you can in situations that seem hopeless. And you, I hate you. You need to cry on a podcast. <laughs> yes. No. For 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 real confirmation that you are you there are tears right now. It's real confirmation. <laughs> yes. No, hey, this is going to be a good tagline. <laughs> Come listen to our podcast. We make the author of the story cry. Um, 
parentheses, positive. <laughs> so for a moment of levity, I like to imagine that Kaya uh, just sort of asks someone like, all right, where are the planes with big spirits? Because I can help with that. And someone was like, well, we got Kamigawa and Theros. And she was like, done. <laughs> all right, I've got this checklist. <laughs> <laughs> she just went to all the planes that were like, all right, where are ghosts really big and important? Um, I feel like... At one point, she must have talked to Elspeth, and Elspeth was talking about the whole ordeal with Heliod. And Kaya's like, sounds like you could use a stabbing. Oh, I don't know. Okay, 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 okay. But for real, hearing Elspeth's history with Heliod would piss Kaya off so much. Because oh Heliod my God. is exactly the kind of person that Kaya hates. Exactly! That's why and she gets to kill him! It's <laughs> so nice. It's so funny. Like, yeah, I... I like Kaya a lot. She is she's a really hard character for me to write because writing people who are genuinely cool is really difficult for me Um, uh, because, you know, writing outside your own experiences is is difficult. And I can (laughs) proudly say I've never been genuine. No, that makes me sound really hipstery, hipstery, if I say it that way. Um, The important part is I'm not cool and, and Kaya is and that's hard to write. But uh, yeah, no, I did everything with Kaya leading up to the story. Well, obviously, like March of the Machine isn't her big set piece. Um, she has had, you know, she's appeared a bunch in the last couple of years. And, and uh, the way she does uh, act in some of these stories is very excellent. Oh, God, the scene on Kamigawa at saving the boy, the dog mm-hmm. is whoa, so good. It's good. All right. We, we have been talking for a very long time now, so... We should probably start wrapping this up. <laughs> You've I, accomplished what you want to accomplish. You made Kay cry, so now we can... That just makes me sound mean. <laughs> Kay, I'm sorry for making you cry, but are you... Pre- you are... Thank you for coming on here and being vulnerable and emotional, and you are wonderful, and I miss you dearly. I want you to know that a new burger place went up down the street, and I finally tried it today, and it was delicious, and I thought of you. Oh my god! So. My burger buddy! <laughs> Uh, Are you coming to Minneapolis? I really, really want to, but I I can't justify it. I'm very sorry. Uh, I will have a burger in your honor. If I had known all the cool people who were going to be at Minneapolis like a month ago, I would have absolutely made it happen. Minneapolis is literally less than a week after I fly back from Seattle and for a trip I'm doing. And I currently have someone visiting here. Uh, when my partner's visiting, and so I've just been like, so I need the social break, otherwise I'd be there in a heartbeat. It's very fair and valid. Uh, I will have sad puppy eyes in the direction of Minnesota when that is happening. I don't know how to end this episode. Final thoughts? Let's do final final thoughts, because we're gonna, this'll be shorter than it looks when I edit it, so. Yes. Give us a final thought, Lorelai. What? I don't want to know. Someone else start. I don't want to start. Right. I always have to start if I lead an episode like this. All right. Well, then guest goes first. Kay, what is your final thought? Does not have to be related at all to magic. Just something on your mind right now. Um. Okay. Not related to magic. Uh. Can I have two? Yeah. You can have as much as you want. You're the guest. Right. That's so, how this works. Okay. So I will. I will use my two things. Uh. To well, I'm gonna shill again for myself later. The shilling for other people here. Yeah. No. Um, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shilling Firstly, for yourself is not a final thought. We will give you a moment to do that later. I, I appreciate that. that. Cast, so, yeah. So, uh, first one is uh, that Witch from Mercury is coming back soon. So, if you, like me, have not caught up yet 
and you enjoy uh, tragic stories about sapphics that might still turn out okay, uh, watch Witch from Mercury. It's really accessible. Uh, it's also... It's got the it's not going to turn out okay. Uh... <laughs> um, my other thought is also a sapphic thing that you should watch. Um, I have been trying to convince everybody I know to watch Tar. And the audience of this podcast counts as people I know. Uh, watch Tar. It's like a two and a half hour long movie about Kate Blanchett being extremely gay. Uh, it's basically a Greek tragedy. It's incredible. <laughs> you will not regret the time you spent watching it. Do not look up the ending. All right. Yep. I'm, I'm changing I'm the interested. board back. It's been zero days since Kay has yelled at me to watch Tar. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been very bad at following directions. I got my parents to watch it the other day. I'm worse than Kay's parents. <laughs> you said it was called Tar? Like T-A-R? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's T-A-R, yeah. Okay. The A has a little uh, accent on it. I wonder if that's why K's name in the Discord is K-A-R with a little... Yeah, but that's exactly why. That's exactly why. <laughs> All right, Lorelai, have you figured out your final thought? No, I wasn't thinking... Oh, oh, we're going right. reverse order, so Carrie. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not in introduction order. <laughs> it goes uh, Brian, then Chris, then me. No, last... No, reverse order. No. backwards. Oh, reverse order? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. we were Uno reversing it. Uh... I have an article about the planes of March of the Machines Commander Plane Chase, which is quite the uh, title that is going up because I love the planes of Plane Chase articles. Well, article mm -hmm. from over a decade ago at this point, and they, I need to not talk about the second Plane Chase. They did not do one, so Asgol oh. and those other weird ones do not have any lore at all. Sad beyond the card mechanics themselves. They've gotten a little bit more with the battles. But yeah, kind of struggle in there. But I think 25 new playing cards. So I'll just be running through those. Hell yeah. Uh, okay. So my final thoughts. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've been reading this book called The Tiger's Daughter. It's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> definitely recommend it. Um, not else, not a lot else going on. Not a lot going on in Destiny right now. Um, playing a lot of League because there's not a lot going on in Destiny. Uh, I will going. say tell you what's going on in destiny is i've equipped kepri's horn and iron banner and if you get some uh, on strand so if you get someone with the drenger's lash they they are guaranteed to get hit with the kepri's horn fire and when it comes back uh in pvp it deals 100 each way you literally just kill a guardian at any resilience level if you get them with your barricade attacks and it's great none of that made any sense to me because i don't know titans that well but, okay, someone um, out there is going to be excited for cool stuff that I'm doing. Uh, but I will say, um, I so related earlier when you were talking about basing a novel off of a character's backstory. I have gotten, I've become one of those people now who like, when the DM's like, oh, just tell me about your backstory. Or, oh, what did you do your character do in their downtime? I'm now like writing the like, here's 2000 words about what my character did in their downtime. Uh, I'm sure my DM is appreciating it. Um, it's a blessing and it's a curse. Um, I'm sure he's reading all of it. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I hope he is. I have, I have another uh, game that now, which is a Star Wars campaign. It's set during the Old Republic, and I, I'm so terrified to like inflict my extremely long character background ideas on this <laughs> new group. I'm just like, I have a lot of feelings about it. <laughs> so my final thought is, uh, 
I have been I've become a huge fan of this freestyle rapper called Harry Mack. He does these freestyles off of random words that people give him like on the like he does Omegle like he he'll sit on Omegle and click through people and ask them for words and he'll do entire 3 to 4 minute or 2 to 2 to 5 minute like songs based on the words that he gives them and it's it's ridiculously like mind blowing and like even if you're not a big fan of hip hop or that that kind of thing it's just really interesting to see how he's able to come up with these random things and it's super positive like it's a really good vibe he's really it's you can't help but smile so if you're ever in need of a quick serotonin boost that's a quick way to do it like the Omegle bars are really nice where he's just clicking through Omegle. He also walks around random cities and records it and just like he'll point out people things on people's shirts and like incorporate that into the rap. It's really, really intriguing and it's a lot of fun to watch and it's super positive and it's just really nice. And he's in Atlanta today and I'm super sad that I didn't go to uh, the concert, but I was just... I'm I'm not feeling standing in in a, a enclosed space with a bunch of random people. So, but he's like. on YouTube and TikTok, and it's a really really good time. Like, I have consumed so many. Like, he started at the beginning of the pandemic, like doing the Omegle bars thing, and like, if you start back then, like you can see how he has developed the whole process going from there and he's still doing them now um i think he releases on thursday or friday nights um for those and it's just it's a real pleasure to watch and he's super talented and a lot of fun so i can't recommend it enough it's rad as hell say the name one more time harry mack h-a-r-r-y space m-a-c-k uh i guess i guess i've run out of rope here (laughs) uh oh Oh, obviously. So, I saw the D&D movie. Oh my god, I saw it too! Don't spoil it, I'm going to see it Saturday with my fiancé. All I will say, Carrie was a coward earlier, but I I will say, fucking ruled. So good. I, I, Sometimes a thing happens and there are 10,000 million ways for it to go wrong. And instead, there are 10,000 million ways where everything works exactly perfectly. And that's what this movie was. Uh, I had such a good time. It was so fun. I'm still thinking about it. Uh, So two days ago. Uh, And God, it was good. I'm so glad it was good. And not like the past D&D movie thing experiment failures uh and i feel like they have done such an excellent job making a film that makes D fans get to go hey it's that thing from D, uh but also people who have no idea about anything from D, not get bogged down in proper nouns or any of that stuff and that's a hard line to walk and I'm just really impressed with a lot of the craftsmanship that went into structuring that film and making that work. And it was the whole package was just really delightful. Um, so I guess that counts as a shill moment. 
from Hasbro. But uh, <laughs> like, li- and I'm that like literally not even saying that as a person who does work for Hasbro. Like, a, just a genuinely good movie. Chris Cox did not put me up to this. Ha- Hasbro has yet to pay me a cent. And I think it was good. So yeah, they they've paid me for my D and D thoughts, and you can see that in Adventures of the Forgotten Realms. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone, please go see the D and D movie. It was so fun. And and when you've seen it, you can come talk about it in our Discord server. No, 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 no we're not there yet. Oh. Hey, here it is, your moment. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, literally. I, I think I have been anticipating having you on the show since Magicon Philly. Um, and so we're finally here and this is so much fun. And yes, Chris, I know it's a long episode. I, it's fine. <laughs> um, we had a good time. I had a good time. I hope you had a good time. I had a very good um, time. I had some very cathartic and... tears. <laughs> um, I'm detecting I'm supposed my... to chill here. Yes. Yo, uh, yeah, this is going to be the shield zone, but uh, one more quip. Uh, you could almost say this was a cathartic reunion. Haha, <laughs> 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 see, Chandra joke. Okay, it, shield it now. So I it certainly was. Um, if, you, if you'd like to read more about cathartic reunions, uh, may I interest you in the uh, novel, The Tiger's Daughter, recommended <laughs> by the Morthos cast's very own Chris. Uh, it is a novel, it's told entirely in second person format and it's all leading up to a reunion at the very end um it's about two princesses from different nations uh who uh grew up together and were kind of fated to be um very near to one another but that's kind of frightening to them sometimes and they get it in their head that they are meant to be gods and they go out and do a bunch of stupid stuff that has a whole lot of consequences but they also kiss a bunch so you know it works out if you like duels relatable if you like duels, if you like uh, me flexing how much I really love hay and poetry, uh, if you like <laughs> the prose of March of the Machine, then please, I would very much appreciate if you picked up a copy of The Tiger's Daughter, because I am extremely close to earning out, and I really want that $2 royalty check. I want it so bad you don't even know. Uh, so please pick up The Tiger's Daughter. Um, I do have other work. Uh, Batman the Blind Cut as well is also available. Um, like spooky noir mysteries, kind of New Capenna style. I've got The Shadow Files of Morgan Knox, which is also really fun. It's set in 1920s New York. It's about a... Uh, Afro-Latina detective investigating kind of like a Cthulhu mythos style uh, horrors in the city. Um, and aside that, next year, I have a sapphic retelling of Eros and Psyche uh, coming out called Oath of Flame. You can find me on Twitter at Arsenault Rivera. Those are both my last names. Uh, my middle name is not Arsenault. Please, it's Miss Arsenault Rivera. <laughs> Miss Rivera is my mother. Also, I just want to say that The Tiger's Daughter and sequels are published by Tor, which means you can get them at a bookstore. You don't have to like You can go to your bookstore and ask them to get you a copy. It's totally a thing you can do. It's Most not of them hard. will have one. Yeah. Wait, so I'm sorry. You said you said th- this novel is written all in the second person. Yeah. Second person epistolary. Hey, hey, Kay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I say this with all the kindness in my heart and tremendous respect. What is wrong with you? <laughs> why would you do it, that it yourself? works so good it, it works it, really it's what's, really good 
what's I got told to rewrite that novel so many times while it was in submission. <laughs> and I, I I did write a version that was first person and it did not slap. OK, it, uh-huh. it needs to no. be in second person. <laughs> I'm I'm a second person liker. Um, but that just this is just from the perspective of having to write that I've tried writing in this. Like, I like reading in the second person. Writing in it is a chore. It's actually natural for me. That's where I default to. <laughs> God, really? What is wrong with it? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, listeners out there, uh, Vorathoses, I really hope you liked March of the Machine's story. And whether you did or didn't, doesn't matter. Uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast. Uh, and everyone who supports us gets access to our discord community where we've been talking about the story a lot and we'll probably continue to do so. Hey, there's some aftermath stories that are going to happen in a couple weeks. So, uh, if you have a lot of thoughts about March in the Machine story in any direction, good or bad predictions, all that kind of stuff, there's a community of folks or is eager to dig into what all these consequences, uh, some of which y'all don't even know yet, um, are going to be. And we would love to have y'all join that. Um, but otherwise, uh, thank you to uh, Kay for coming on the show. Thank you to our patrons for supporting us on Patreon. And thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast. <laughs>